Lord, that's our prayer tonight, that you would have your way in our lives, that you would touch, mold, move, transform, change by your power, by the power of the cross, that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and that is transform us. Lord, let your word go forth tonight. In all its practicality, Lord, let us apply it so that we may be more like you. In Jesus' name, we all say it. Give the Lord a hand tonight. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I'm going to share with you tonight a very practical message from Luke 2.52. You all got your uh, little handouts? It's all about the new year. Luke 2.52, and then I want to read that scripture there in Proverbs 17.24 that you have on your notes. Y'all got it? Man, Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and favor with man. Your uh, notes right there in Proverbs 17.24 in the Good News Bible, it says, An intelligent person aims at wise actions, but a fool starts off in many directions. Go ahead and have a seat tonight. How to make the most from your new year. That's what I wanted to share with you on today. Because I really have a question for you. What are you going to do with 2008? What's going to be so different about this year than it was last year for you? On January 1st, you all had, so this is going to be different. Yes, we're going to do things different. But now that we're one week into it, what's different? What's absolutely different? How many of you would like 2008 to be better than 2007? Yes. I think all of us. All of us probably experienced a pretty tough year. A year of challenges, a year of choices, it was a year of changes. For some of us, it was a year of crises. But for some of you even, it probably brought a lot of heartache. There were times of letdowns and times of disappointments. For some of you, you experienced a loss, the death of a loved one. Maybe for some of you, 2007 represents failure. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. The good news is we get to start over again. God brings our life, thank the Lord, in bite-sized pieces, and in hours, in days, and months, and he says every year, Let's wipe the slate clean. Every year, let's do away with that. Let's start fresh. It's a brand new year. 2008 means what? New beginnings. So is 2008 going to be better than 2007? It will if you have a plan. If you go right into 2008 the same way you did 2007 without a plan, you're going to duplicate the same thing you did last year. You have to have a plan. You cannot just go into 2008 and say, I know it's going to be better. I hope it's going to be better. I wish it's going to be better. You've got to have a plan if you're going to make it better. So there's four steps to maximizing 2008, and you'll see it right there in your notes. It says the first step is to assume responsibility for my life. 
assume responsibility for my life. Now, this is not a real popular concept because in our culture, we have a concept that is called political correctness. And this basically tells us if you go to any secular psychotherapist, psychoanalyst, psycho anybody, they'll tell you none of your problems are your fault. It's not your fault. Everything bad in your life is someone else's fault. Blame the environment. Blame the way you grew up. Blame your teacher. Blame your parents. Blame everybody, but do not blame yourself because it is not your fault. That's what the world tells you. If you get in an accident, it's not your fault. If you spill some hot coffee on yourself, sue McDonald's. It's not your fault. <laughs> Even though you were holding the cup, it's not your fault. It's always someone else's fault. But I'm going to let you know this, that you're never going to be a success in life. You're never going to make your life count if you have that kind of an attitude, if you never take responsibility for your life. Galatians 6.5 says that each person must be responsible for themselves. The fact is that choices, the choices that you and I make are always going to determine more than our circumstances. You can't control the circumstances that happen to you. No one can control circumstances that happen to us. But what we can control is our attitude and our choices. We can control that. That's up to us. Nothing else is up to us. I don't know what's going to happen to me this year. I, you don't know what's going to happen to you this year. Nobody knows what's going to happen in June. Nobody knows what's going to happen in December. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody has the foggiest idea what's going to happen when we go home tonight. But the one thing that you can control is your reaction to whatever happens. That's what you have control over. You can control your actions, and you can control your reactions. The, so the point in making 08 better than 07 is saying, I can't control my circumstances, but I can control my actions. I can control my reactions, and I'm going to make right choices. That's what's going to make 08 different than 07, when you start making right choices. Now, there's all kinds of different types of people in, in the world, but I'm just going to give you three of them. Three types of people, three kinds of people. You have the accusers, the excusers, and the choosers. Now, the accusers, they always blame everybody else for their problems. Their favorite, their favorite phrase is, it's your fault. It's your fault. I wouldn't have gotten mad. You made me mad. Anybody ever said that? Mm. You blame your anger on your spouse, on your kids, on the person that cut you off on the freeway, you know, and you get to your destination and you're all upset. And why are you all upset? Man, that guy cut me off on the freeway. Man, that guy did this. Or, oh, and you're all upset. And you're saying, it's not your fault that you're angry. It's their fault. They made you angry. Not true. It's your fault. You allowed yourself to get angry. You can't say, it's not my fault. 
you are becoming an accuser, pointing the finger, saying it's their fault. Your kids get into the, the your toddlers get into the pantry and they, they just totally destroy all your food, throw it all over the place. You have a choice. You can really get upset and you can really get angry or you can just cool off, walk away, and cool off. Your choice. Then you have the excusers. The excusers always have a reason for where they are and why they are the way they are. There's always a reason. They always procrastinate on something. And they always have an excuse of why they procrastinated. Well, this happened, and this happened, and this, and that's why I didn't get to do this. I know you asked me to do this, but I didn't get to do this because this and this. Have you ever had a lot of excuses all in one day? The Bible says that a lazy man is full of excuses. Right there in your, bio, in your paper, Proverbs 2.13. A lazy man is full of excuses. So accusers and excusers, people who blame others and people who excuse themselves, do you know what they are? <laughs> Losers. That's what they are. That's what, that's what we are. When we are constantly excusing and accusing, we don't grow up. We don't take responsibility for our choices. It's always someone else or it's always something else. So where we need to be this coming year in 2008 is we need to be a chooser. A chooser says, I assume responsibility for my happiness. If my husband's upset with me, I'm not going to walk around with my cara de hacha, with my chin dragging on the floor because my husband's upset with me. If my wife's not talking to me, I'm not gonna lose my victory because she's not talking. If my kids are not serving God, I'm not gonna let that become my whole life and I'm not gonna just be all down in the dumps and not even wanna come to church anymore. Whatever happens to me, we have a choice. We have a choice of how we react to circumstances. I am not dependent on someone else's joy to give me joy. If you're happy, great, if, but I can't depend on you. You can't make me happy. You cannot. You may try, stand on your head, do some cartwheels, make me laugh, but it's not going to make me happy. Those of you who are single, if you think a marriage, a man or a woman is going to make you happy, get a life. Get a grip. They do not make you happy. Having a man or having a woman in your life does not make you happy. If you are not happy to begin with, you are going to be a deadbeat spouse. I'm serious. You gotta be happy with yourself. If you're not happy with you, who wants to be with you anyway? You, your happiness cannot depend on someone else. They cannot make you happy. You've got to be happy with yourself. You just have to be. You can't be dependent on anybody. You have to choose your happiness and you have to choose your direction. 
You have to choose to accept responsibility for your life. And if you do that, if you choose to take responsibility for your attitude, if you choose to take responsibility for who you are in choosing, then you're going to be able to get a jump on 2008. So the first thing you got to do is assume responsibility. The second thing you got to do is believe I can change. Believe I can change. Stop saying I can't. You know, when people tell me I can't, I tell them, you know what, there's no such thing as I can't. The word is I won't. I won't. There's no such thing as I can't. I can't do this. I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You just don't want to. You just don't want to. I can't go up there and talk. Sure you can. You just don't want to. I can't go out there and witness and share my, my faith. Sure you can. You just don't want to. I can't tell my family that I'm coming to church. Sure you can. You just don't want to. You got to stand up. You got to make some choices. The word I can't is, should not be in your vocabulary. It should be I won't. The Bible says in Philippians 4.13, in your paper, it says, There is nothing I cannot master with the help of Christ who gives me strength. We all know that this is in a, in a, a Jerusalem Bible, but, and, and I like this version, but you all know the other version where I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But this version says there is nothing I can't master, nothing. What is the hardest thing for you to do right now? You can master it. You can master it with the help of Christ who gives you strength. He is, he is the one who can help you master. Master it. Not just do it. Master it. But do you really believe in that verse? I mean, is it something you believe in? Or is it, oh yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We know it by heart. We say it. But do we believe it? There is nothing that you and I cannot master because that's what the Word of God says. There means, that absolutely means that there is nothing that is going to happen to you in the next 358 days or 359 days. There is absolutely nothing that's going to happen to you in these next days. No problem, no situation, no circumstance, no difficulty, no hassle that you cannot handle nothing you can deal with it anything that happens this year you can deal with it how through christ's strength not through your own strength but through his not on your own effort but through his because it's the strength that christ gives us you need to kind of like circle that there is nothing i can't do that's why one of my favorite scriptures is that there is nothing that separates me from the love of God. Not life, nor death, nor principalities, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor things behind. Absolutely nothing separates me from the love of God. Nothing. And if nothing separates me from the love of God, then I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I believe it. Now, this is not just psyching yourself up. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. 
Because there are some things that you can think you can all you want. And no matter how much you think you can, you can't. No matter how much you say, you know what, I'm going to be able to do this, you can't do this. Because see, there's a difference between pop psychology and Christianity. Psychology, the good self-help books that are out there, and there's a whole section of self-help books. They tell you what to do. They, they tell you, you know what, just do this, and, and this will happen. The only thing that a self-help book cannot tell you or cannot give you is it cannot give you any power to do it. There is no power in the self-help books. All the power is in us. And you know how much power we have on our own? Zero. Absolutely none. I, I've read self-help books. I, I, know, I know what they are. I, I think I've read one on almost every subject. They tell you how to be a success. First, get rid of all your bad habits. Then get a, learn to get along with people. Then be disciplined and have self-control. Anybody ever tried to do all that on their own without God? I don't think so. They tell you what to do, but they don't give you the power to do it. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need it. We can't do it on our own. I can't handle stuff on my own. Believe me, I can't handle stuff on my own. I can't handle half of the stuff that comes my way without the power of Christ in my life. I believe that I can change. I really do. I believe that I can change not on my own power, but with the power that Christ gives me, I can handle things. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? The Bible is full of stories of people who have changed their lives because they believed after God spoke to them. When God came to Moses and he told him, I want to use you to save a nation. And Moses said, me? I got kicked out of Egypt. I'm a murderer. I'm over here just tending sheep. What am I going to do with a nation? And God says, I want to use you. When God came to a young man named Gideon, he was a part of a tribe that was the smallest of all tribes he was the poorest family in his tribe. And God said, I want to use you. And Gideon said, well, I ain't got nothing. I'm poor. My tribe is small. There's nothing. And God says, I want to use you. God came to Jeremiah. And he says, I want you to be my spokesman. I want you to be my preacher. I want you to teach the nation. And he says, me? I'm Mr. Depression. I'm always depressed. I'm always down. I always walk around, you know, always negative, looking at everything that could go wrong. I see it. And God says, that's what I want to use, a depressed teenager, to do what I have called them to do. See, God can use you and God can use me. That's the good news. He wants to use you just the way you are. As a married woman, as a married man, as a single parent, as a single. He wants to use you as a young teenager. He wants to use you wherever you're at. All you have to do is believe that he could use your life. Believe that you can change. 
Believe that God can give you the power to change if you trust him. See, it says clarify. Clarify what I really want. So you need to decide what's important and what isn't important. God has given each and every one of us an incredible gift, and that gift is the freedom to make choices. We all have a freedom to make a choice. It says right here, we can choose the sounds we want to listen to. Those of you, you want to listen to worldly music? Go for it. You can listen to whatever sounds you want to listen to. You can choose whatever taste of food you want. You can choose to follow what is right. But first of all, we must define what is good or what is right. Job says everything is permissible. Everything. I can do anything I want. My husband used to always love to say that. I could go out there. I could go out there and fix. I could go out there and drink. He goes, I could go out there and dance. And I would look at him and go, no, you can't. <laughs> he couldn't dance a lick. In his head. But he couldn't. Everything that you want to do, it's all permissible. You can do it. But is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? Is it for your good? Is it for your betterment that you do what you do? Is it right? Is it really what God wants for your life? See, to clarify what you really want means to really look at it and say, is this what I really want to do? Is this really what I want to do? Not just get caught up in the moment. Is this what you really want to do? Most people don't even know what they want. They really don't. They just go from day to day to day and not really knowing and having a real clear direction of what they want. They never stop long enough to think through and write down on paper what is important to them. What is important to you? What are your values? What do you think is important? If you think that purity is a value, then you're not going to be sleeping around. If it's a value to you, especially if you're a parent, you want to teach your children values, then you better do it first. You want to teach your children not to cuss, then you better not be cussing. You want to teach your children to have uh, the ability to see good movies, then you got to watch good movies. You got to do it before you get your kids to do it. Don't think that your kids are just going to follow the right way without they're looking at you. Whatever you do. That's why uh, the rule in my house, when my children were growing up, the rule in my house was, if me and your father say the word, you can say it. Didn't matter what it was. If we said it, they could say it. Do you know how strict those boundary lines are? Even when I got mad, I think the, the one time I slipped, one time I was so mad. I was furious at my son. I think he was like about 10 years old. He never lets me forget. One time I slipped. I... Um, I was, I was really upset. I can't remember what it was. I mean, he's 28 already, so 
<clears throat> but when he was 10 years old, I was like, I had had it. I, psh, I was up to here. And I was so upset, and I called him. I even hate to use the word because it really is a bad word for me. I called him an idiot. Now, for you, that may not be that big of a thing, but those were words that I didn't use with my children. I didn't use derogatory terms with them. I didn't want to put them down. I wanted to lift them up. So when I used that word, he never forgot it, ever to this day. You can ask him, what's the one word your mom called you that she shouldn't have called you? He'll tell you right away. But when I was raising up my children, I did that. And you could say, well, man, those were really strict rules. I did that because my husband and I wanted to give ourselves boundaries. And the only way that we could give ourselves boundaries is to let our children talk the way we talked. And if they could talk the way we talked, then that meant that we were going to have to start using some right words in the house. That it didn't matter if we were upset with each other. It didn't matter, matter if we were angry. didn't matter what happened. Nothing unwholesome was to come out of our mouth. And that's what we had to do and teach our children. So those of you who are parents, you want to teach your children? You got to do it first. Now, I don't know where that came from, but somebody needs to know that. The Holy Spirit says somebody needs to know that today. But if you don't know what's important to you, if you don't know what your values are, if, you're, if it's not even on a piece of paper, it's just in your head, you really don't know what's important to you. If you don't write down your values, if you don't write down the important things in your life, you're going to be pushed around by the pressures of life. And then all of a sudden, you're going to say, at the end of 2008, what happened? This whole year is gone. You know why we say that? We say, where did this whole year go? Because we didn't accomplish what we said we were going to do. That's why we say, what happened? If we accomplished it, we would be able to look back and say, man, this was a good year. Man, I did this. Man, I did that. Man, I accomplished this goal. I did that. But most of us say, what happened? We look back and say, man, a whole year went by. What happened? I don't even know. I remember it was January and now it's December. What happened? Your values will determine your vision. Your desires will determine your direction. Let me say that again. Your values will determine your vision. Whatever you value, that's what you're going to go for. That's what you're going to shoot for. That's what you're going to aim for. But whatever your desires are, that's going to determine your direction. So let's just say you're single and you want a man of God or you want a woman of God and that's your vision and that's where you want to go. That's where you say, you know what, that's my vision. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to wait. But your desires will take you in a different direction. Can't wait. Can't hang. Just can't hang. Valentine's Day is coming. Can't hang. Your vision is in one direction. Your desires are in a different direction. But when they both are in the same direction, then you become a person 
who has values and walks right. But when your vision and, and, and desires are two different areas, you're messed up. That's why you're going up and down and up and down and up and down. That's why one day you're this, you're gung-ho for God. I want to serve God. I want to do this for God. I'm going to go out and I'm going to tackle this. And you want to do great things for God. And the next day, your desires have changed your whole direction. Now you're over here messing up. You're taking a drink. You're going to a party, smoking a joint. You're doing all kinds of stuff. Because your desires take you in one direction, but your vision is in another direction. You have to stop and ask yourself, what is important? What really matters? When you make up your mind, when you really make up your mind and say, this is what matters to me, then you're going to shoot for it. Because if you don't aim for anything, you're going to hit it every time. You're going to aim for nothing, you're going to hit nothing. Most people have this feeling that say, you know what, I really, really want to be happy. I just want to be happy. That's all I want. I just want to be happy. But if you've ever said that, and you've never sat down and figured out what's going to make you happy, what are you doing? You're just thinking a thought. But you're never really doing anything toward that. What does God want to do with your life? Why are you here? What are your values? Write them down. This week, take some time. Sit down and write down what's important to you. Write down your values. Write down what's, what do I want to, what direction am I going to go in? What values do I want? And I got to get my desires to get in that same direction. I'm not going to let my desires go in a different direction. I'm going to go in the same direction as my vision, the same direction as my values, no matter how hard it is. If you want to make your marriage work, you're going to do everything possible. Eat dirt. Eat whatever you got to do. Just do it to make your marriage work. Everybody's got to eat dirt if you're married. Sorry. Amen, married couples? That's the way it is. You just got to eat dirt. It's called humbling yourself. Humble. Some, sometimes you get served more humble pie than any other meal in the house. It's all about eating humble pie. But if that's your value and you want to stay married and you want to make your marriage work, you're going to eat it for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, for snacks, for midnight snacks. You're going to eat it if that's your value. Now, your desire would say, you know what, I'm sick of this. I am sick of this pie. I want some pride pie. <laughs> Tastes better. I'm sure it does. Pride pie always tastes better. But is it in the direction of your vision? Because if it isn't, then you're going to go somewhere else. You're going to do something else. You're going to wind up being someone else. Everything is permissible, everything, but everything is not beneficial. So in your life, as a Christian, your choice is not between good and evil, or it shouldn't be between good and evil. Should I go to church or should I go to a party? 
Should I go to a small group or should I go hang out with my old friends? Your choices as a Christian should not be, should I go with, you know, the young adults and, and, or the singles or should I go out to a bar and find myself somebody? Your choices should not be between good and evil. Your choices should be between good, gooder, and goodest. That's what your choices should be. This is good, but what's better than that? What's even best? That's what your choices should be, not between good and evil. You don't have time for that kind of stuff. You really don't. You don't know how long you're going to live here. You just don't know, and you're making choices between good and evil. You have no time to be making choices between good and evil. You better figure out what the two or three things that you got to do this year, and you got to do it. You just got to do it. You're going to have ask yourself, what's really going to last? What's really going to last? A lot of things that you want to do, are they really going to last? They're urgent, but they're really not that important. What's really going to last? I, I shared with the, the leadership on Monday that in all of the different funerals and hospital bedsides that I've had to be at throughout the years, talk to people when they were dying. Never heard anyone say, as I look back over my life, I wish I would have spent more time at work. Never heard anybody say, I wish I would have spent more time at the bar. I wish I would have spent more time fighting. I wish I would have spent more time taking care of myself. No, what they always say is that I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have spent more time getting to know God. I wish I would have grown in my character and in my values. That's what I wish I would have done, but I didn't. Clarify what's important. D, don't wait to begin. Don't wait to begin, do it now. Three words that are gonna change your life. Do it now. Just do it. There's never going to be an ideal circumstance to start your change. There's never going to be the perfect day to start your growth. There's never going to be the ideal situation to start on that development. Just do it now. Ecclesiastes 4 says right here in your notes, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. So many people, parents, married couples, I've heard them say, when things settle down, I'm going to do this. When things change, I'm going to do this. I want to let you know something. Your life will never settle down, ever. You know why? Because it's life. Life doesn't settle down. Life doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop. It keeps on going. If you're going to go out and continue using the excuse when things settle down, I'm going to start to have a daily quiet time with God. When things settle down, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. When things settle down, I'm going to be what I'm supposed to be. You're never going to do it because things are never going to settle down. You learn to read your Bible 
when things are unsettled. You learn to develop a relationship with God when things are unsettled. You don't wait for the perfect conditions. When things settle down, I'm going to spend more time with my kids. By that time, they're going to be grown up and gone because it's not going to settle down. When they're toddlers, you think, oh my gosh, when is it going to stop? Then they become teenagers, and you're like, oh my gosh, when is it really going to stop? It's never going to settle down. You're always going to have something to do. You need to start now. Some of you are saying, well, when, when things settle down, I'm going to spend more time with my wife and my husband. You wait till that time, your whole love life is going to die. You can't wait. Do it now. Life has to be enjoyed under imperfect circumstances. Imperfect circumstances. Whatever you're going to do, whatever you want to do, then get to do it now. Because things aren't going to settle down until you're in a coffin. Then you're going to be settled for good. You're done. You want to be settled that way? It's going to happen. But until that time, do what you need to do now. Stop waiting for that perfect day. Stop waiting for that one thing to change. If he changes, then I'll do that. If she changes, then I'll do that. You're going to be waiting a long time. Long, long time. You know what the root, well, one of the biggest or primary roots of procrastination is? Perfectionism. People procrastinate because they want perfectionism. Because perfectionism is what stops us from doing what we're supposed to do. It paralyzes us. I can't get anything done because I'm waiting for the perfect moment to start my diet. I'm waiting for the perfect moment to start the project. I'm waiting for the perfect time to start that hobby. I'm waiting for the perfect time to go back to school. I'm waiting for the perfect time to go back and learn. If you don't do it now, you're not going to do it. You just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. You know, I wanted to go to school. I was in school, matter of fact, when I got pregnant of my son. And I have always wanted to go to school. All my life I wanted to go to school. That's always been my desire. And so I always said, okay, as soon as my son is in kindergarten, I'm, I'm gone. And so he turned five, he's ready to go back to school, I get pregnant. Then I'm like, okay, then I'm going to go back to school as soon as Stephanie's in school. Oh, then here comes Val. Okay, as soon as she's in school. And I kept on, I kept on. And, and I was doing this to myself. Nobody did it to me. But I'm going to tell you what I did do is I continued pushing myself to learn at home. Anybody who's ever seen my library, my library was accumulated over years and years and years. I never stopped learning. I never stopped teaching myself. I never stopped being open to what God wanted to do in my life because I wanted to learn. And I didn't let my circumstances keep me from doing what I wanted to do. So what's stopping you? Your children? I don't think so. God gave them to you to be a blessing, not a burden, not a hindrance, not a paralysis in your life. He gave them to you to be a blessing. So what else? Your job? You don't like your job? Get a job you like. 
What's stopping you from doing what you're supposed to do? Whatever is stopping you, get it out of the way. Do what God has called you to do. Be happy with who you are. Be happy at your job. Be happy where you live. God has not called us to liberty and freedom, not to be like, oh, I got to go to work tomorrow. I hate my job. How many people hate their job? Why do you work there if you hate your job? It can't be for the money, because money don't make you happy. It doesn't make you happy. We procrastinate working on our goals. We procrastinate on setting them. There is a, a census that was done. Less than 5% of Americans have written their goals down on paper. But there was also a census that was taken and they looked at the top 5% of the people who make the most money in the world. Every single one of those people have their goals written down. The ones who make the most money in the world, the billionaires, they all have their goals written down. Why? Why is it that we don't write our goals and the people who make the most money write their goals because they know what they're shooting for? They look at it every day. Every day it's on the refrigerator. Every day that's what I'm shooting for. Every day, every choice I make is going to be according to that. Every day I'm going to make decisions according to that. My vision, my desires, everything is focused on that. But since we don't write anything down, we go here, we go there, we're looking and looking. Okay, okay, we'll just go here. Okay, we'll go here. And we just, like the Bible says, we get tossed to and fro. Write it down. There's four personal development goals on your back sheet. We took it from Luke 2:52, where it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and favor with man. These, these scriptures gives, gives us four ways that we need to develop. He developed in wisdom. That's intellectual development. <clears throat> He developed in stature, that's physical development. He developed in favor with God, that's spiritual development. And then he developed in favor with man, that's social development. If you want to be well-rounded and you want to be balanced, then you need to have one goal in each of these four areas. And that's why I gave them to you. So the first one is the intellectual. Ask yourself, what do I want to learn this year? That's intellectual. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you learn and you will prosper. Proverbs 19, 8. Remember that commercial that used to say, the mind is a terrible thing to waste? So sad there's so many of us wasting our mind. Wasting our mind. God gave you a mind. He gave you a brain. It's a gift. It's a muscle. Your brain is a muscle. If you use the muscle, it's going to get stronger. But if you ignore your muscle, just like any bone in your body, it's going to atrophy. It's going to get stuck. You're not going to be able to move that brain. You have, some of us have atrophied brains. They haven't been used in a long time. Long time. The Bible says, do yourself a favor. Learn all you can. Leaders, 
I keep stressing to them that they are learners. But I want to tell you as a congregation, you got to be a learner. You got to be willing to learn. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. And it doesn't matter if you have a position in the church, if you have a position at your job, you have a position at home with your children, you're a leader somewhere. You stop learning, you stop leading. As a Christian, you need to constantly be challenging yourself to grow and develop. So that's why you need to ask yourself, what do I want to learn this year? Maybe some of you, you need to just learn how to read a book. Some of you haven't picked up a book in a long time since you were in high school, many, many moons ago. And maybe you should just set a goal to read five books this year. Five books, just five books. That's one every other month. Six is every other month, but you could have Christmas off. <laughs> maybe it's an educational goal. Maybe you need to take a class in Betty and not be so afraid of, like, well, what if I look like I'm dumb? Well, what if we all look dumb? We're going to learn. Some of you need to go back to school. You need to get into your word. You need to learn your word. Get into school. Get into reading. Maybe some of you, you know, you need to learn the computer. You haven't even learned how to turn it on. You're afraid of it. You're afraid you're going to break it. You're not going to break it. There are so many classes that you could take. There's adult classes that you could take. They're, they're free. They're, some of them are $10, $15. Take a chance. My first class I ever went to was an adult class. Everybody there was over 70 years old. <laughs> I felt right at home. I learned along with them. This was many, many years ago when computers were just coming out. And the reason that I got into computers is because, see, th this is a little uh, selfish, but I wanted to, I didn't want to have my kids teach me how to do the computer. I wanted to teach them how to do the computer. So I learned the computer before them. Because I wanted to learn. I didn't want to be sitting in the back seat. I didn't want to be 50, 60, 70 years old and say, I don't know how to do that. Some, some of you need to just be able to challenge yourself, to stimulate yourself so that one year from today, one year from today, you're going to be smarter in one area than you were in December of 07. By December of 08, you're going to know more in one area, just one. Pick something that you know that God could use in your life. You need to have some good stewardship on your brain that God gave you. The second area here is the physical. Don't get quiet on me now. What will improve my health by next year? Is it losing weight? Is it going to bed earlier? Is it turning off the TV? Is it getting on with an exercise plan? Is it changing your eating habits? Is it developing some kind of stress relief? Is it learning how to start walking every day? The Bible has a lot of tips on how to get healthy. Proverbs 17 says right here, being cheerful keeps you healthy. It's a slow death to be gloomy all the time. Being cheerful. For some of you, that's God's health tip for you. Lighten up. Just chill. Some of you are like so like, oh, 
Man, they see, people see you and you go, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. You're all wound up tighter than a top. Lighten up. Just chill. Learn how to just don't sweat the small stuff. Because you've got to remember that book that says it's all small stuff. Being cheerful, the Bible says, keeps you healthy. Some of you, you've got to crack a smile. You might crack your face, but crack a smile. Crack a smile. I, I talked to somebody today. I spoke to her today. And uh, as I was talking to her, I said, you know, I could just tell in your voice, you need to laugh. And she said, I haven't laughed in the last month. And I said, okay, then we have a date, because that's my job. I'm going to make you laugh. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. You need to look for somebody who hasn't laughed, and you need to make an appointment with them. Make them laugh. Because being cheerful, being cheerful keeps you healthy. You get old when you don't laugh. You get old when you're not happy. So that's your tip. Lighten up. Spiritual goals, moving right along. What's going to deepen your relationship with God? What one thing could you do that will make the biggest difference in your relationship with God this year? Not 10 things. One thing. What's one thing you can do this year? What do you know that you're supposed to be doing, but you keep putting it off and putting it off? Last year you said, this is what I'm going to do, but you never did it. This year, you got to do it. Maybe you have to get baptized. You've just been putting it off. Maybe you just need to get committed to coming to church faithfully. Maybe you need to get involved in the Field of Dreams classes and really get serious about it. Maybe you need to join a small group. You haven't gotten connected anywhere, and you stay disconnected, and then you feel sorry for yourself. Nobody cares about me. Get connected. Get into a small group. We also have recovery groups. Maybe you just need to join a Bible study. Maybe you just need to start tithing. Now I'm going to meddle. <laughs> you just, you got to do something, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Maybe your heart hasn't been here because you haven't been giving. So your heart isn't here, so you feel disconnected. You come and you leave, and there's no connection. You start giving, you're going to start feeling connected because then your heart will be here. And if your heart is here, then you're going to be able to be a part and feel a part of what we're doing here. Maybe you need to start just having a daily quiet time. Whatever it is, one thing, one thing that at the end of this year, you're going to be able to say, I grew in my spiritual life because I did this. What, reading one chapter a day, spending 15 minutes with the Lord, just doing something. And then lastly, a social, a social goal. What is my ministry to others? See, God just doesn't want you to think of yourself. He doesn't bless selfishness. 1 Peter 4.10 says in here in your notes, God is giving you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. Anytime you help someone else, it's called ministry. Every single one of you, you all have a ministry. We are to help others. It's called being in service. You serve God by serving others. 
Next year is going to be the year, or this year, this year is going to be the year that the majority of you got to get off the bench. You've been on the bench and you've been watching everybody else playing in the field. And you're watching them, and some of you are saying, you know, you're like the armchair quarterbacks. You know, at the Super Bowl, everybody turns into an armchair quarterback. They get mad at the quarterback for throwing an interception. They get mad at the, at the, the runner for fumbling the ball. They get mad because they're sitting there in their, in their chair, eating pizza, drinking soda, having a big old time gorging themselves while these guys are out there and they're doing the football for Super Bowl. And so they have what is called an armchair quarterback where you know how to do everything, but you're not on the field. And the same thing happens here in church. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback and see everything that is wrong, but you got to get in the game. Get off the bench. We need you in the game. We need more than 22 people on the playing field. We need you in this game. You have gifts. You have talents. You have abilities that God has given you, and he wants you to use them for his glory and honor. So this past year, you committed your heart to God. If you committed your treasure to God, now he's saying, okay, now I want you to commit your life. I want you to commit your time. I want you to commit your gifts. I want you to commit everything of who you are to me. Everything. Maybe some of you need to write down the name of a person who isn't serving God. And you say, you know what, That's, I'm going to pray for them all year long. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. You and I don't have the power to change on our own. All the things that we want to do, we could end up on December 31st and say, what happened? Just like we did last year. What happened? But I'm going to tell you this, that in ourselves, we don't have the power to change. But in Christ, we have the power to change. Your strength comes from the Lord's hand. Not on our own, not what we do, not pop psychology, not anything from a book. It comes from the cross. It comes from the cross. When you say, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I keep messing up. Well, welcome to the human race. We all mess up. We all fall short. It's called our sin nature. We've all got it. I got it. You got it. We set goals. We don't always make it. But we don't just stay down. We pick up and we do it again. We got to just have a direction. Stop procrastinating. Stop delaying. Stop avoiding. That's sin nature. But when Christ has the power that works in us, he says that I have begun a good work in you and I will continue to perform it until the day of my appearance. He gave us power over sin. When he died... He died to defeat the power of sin. That's why we have victory over sin. We have the energy and the power to break bad habits. We have the, the power to let go hurts. We have the power to release all the hang-ups that keep messing us up. He paid a price so that we could be released from that power of sin. We can do this, but it can only be done in him. That's the power of the cross. That's why when we talk about making goals and we talk about the power to change a life, we're not talking about what we got. We're talking about what he has. What he has. Stand with me tonight.
The opening scripture right here on your paper says an intelligent person aims at wise actions, but a fool starts off in many directions. I don't know how you started off this year. I don't even know how many directions you might have started off in. You want to do this and you want to do this and you want to do this. You want to do a lot of things. This particular scripture probably describes so many of us in 07. We all went in a lot of different directions. We didn't have a goal. We didn't have an objective. We didn't have an aim. We didn't have a target. This year, you got to make it count for God. You really got to make it count. Whatever your values are, push for those values. Don't let your desires take you in a different direction. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever you see that God wants to do in your life, keep going forward. Just keep pushing forward. Not letting the enemy detour you. This is a very, very practical message. And all I can do is say, if you don't want to be like this fool that the Bible talks about going in many directions, if you really want to accomplish something and you want to follow the Lord in growing up in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man, you get one goal in your physical, in your spiritual, in your social, in your intellectual. If you do that, you won't wind up being frustrated at the end of the year. What happened? What happened? This year's got to count. This year's got to count. Go ahead and bow your heads. Lord, we want this year to count for you so bad.